Hello, hello. I can't hear you. Unmute. Woo! Very good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The joy of my. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, love it, love it. So good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you may be tuning in with us from for another episode, episode number five of Who Wouldn't Serve a God Like This? So go ahead and grab your friends and your family, your neighbors. We have had a short delay because of technical difficulties. I thought we were live, didn't hit the button, or maybe I hit the button and all uh, of the platforms didn't show up. So, hey, we're human and this is technical, right? <laughs> so <laughs> praise God for the technical, right? So I just want to welcome everyone to another episode of Who Wouldn't Serve a God Like This? So good afternoon once again, good evening, good morning, wherever you may be tuning in with us live whether you're joining on YouTube or Facebook Live, I am so happy and grateful for you to take out time out of your schedule to be with us for episode number five of Who Wouldn't Serve a God Like This? Where it is my goal, my mission, and my desire to share with the world the crisis that God has permitted in our lives that is or was used to strengthen our faith and then the victories that we've experienced to, to above all glorify God and to help others. So praise God for another episode. And we have none other than Coach AJ, Angela J. Neely with us today. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ms. Pamela. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I humbly uh, sit here and uh, in awe. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what? Okay, I, I do. I have some feedback, but with that said, Coach AJ, she is a science educator, a businesswoman, a research scientist, athlete, coach, official, and entrepreneur who believe that all people, both young and senior, but uh, both young and senior can and will continue a life of learning. And she has a, a long list of accomplishments. Can I tell you she has a long list of accomplishments? An eight-page resume is pretty impressive. And uh, her list of accomplishments and uh, accolades are amazing. But at the end of the day, she believes that your faith must be greater than your fear, and that your walk must be greater than your talk. That is amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that, Dr. AJ. So I know Thank what your resume says, but I want you to share with uh, our audience today, who is Angela J. Neely or Coach AJ, and what are is that thing that happened to you? And... Um, that trauma that got allowed to happen in your life. Oh, mine started oh, here with when us, I was who like, you are. 
Yes, yes, yes. Mine started when I was when I was born. Actually, I was born in a hospital in what's called Greenfield, Indiana, here in um, just 45 minutes east of the city where I live in, Indianapolis, Indiana. My parents are from Terre Haute, Indiana, and they are the individuals, absolute angels. They've since passed away, but those two wanted a family. They wanted three very important pieces. They wanted a home. They wanted a successful marriage. They wanted a successful family. And so we were fortunate they adopted us, my sister as well. She was adopted out of Anderson, Indiana. I was adopted out of Greenfield. And I was left literally in the hospital. So the mother was a European mother and she had gotten together with African-American gentlemen. Uh, he was IU, Indiana University graduate out of the Bloomington campus. They got together at some point, um, obviously, she became pregnant and uh, she was scared because she's white, he's black. That was not the thing in Indiana because, uh, you know, the Klan, after it left Mississippi and started all its ridiculousness, it came to Indiana uh, in a city uh, northwest of Indianapolis uh, where Wabash College is, Crawfordsville, Indiana. And so she was probably scared to death is my you know, I did never, never had the opportunity to meet her. So I have no idea what the conversation really was. But historically, what we can put together is that she dropped and ran. You know, it, it, her life was probably threatened. The Klan was either after her or her family. Who knows? Who knows how that story really went? Well, two great people really wanted to adopt me. And so my name was Infant Girl Swartz. And so my biological mother was born in Illinois. And that was all the information I was able to come across before 1974. And almost two years ago, that's how long I had to wait, almost well past my 50s. I had to wait until they opened up the closed adoptions across the United States. Indiana was one of those states where adoptions were closed, information was closed. So they opened it up, I applied and I found my biological name. So my biological name uh, was Infant Girl Swartz from 1960, December 27th, up until the 26th of May, 1964. So my parents gave me my name, Angela, which is messenger from God, Joyce, because they rejoiced. Uh, they thought it was an angel to come, yeah, that they were able to have, you know, to adopt a child. When you look at African-American adoptions in the 60s in a very red, red conservative state, they were very fortunate, very blessed. And so they rejoiced. So Joyce is my middle name. AJ is my nickname from when I was in college. They rejoiced. So Angela Joyce Neely. And so, but my health was not good when I was born. I was born six pounds, nine ounces, not not really considered small back then. Uh, and by today's standards, probably really small. Anyway, I had severe uh, um, issues in terms of, of not having a good immune system, not built well. So I missed a tremendous amount of school. I flunked kindergarten. I mean, you know, I started school, I was four, but I had a gift for math and science and spatial orientation. And very few, very few people are given that. Mm -hmm. So that would that would have been, you know, what was doled out to me, you know, underweight, um, you know, severe anemia, severe anemia uh, and, and uh just just struggled with reading, writing, struggled to get out of kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. So I decided that I really wanted to do well. I had a fire already there. My parents were great role models. Reading is a big was a big part of our house. We always had a library. I have a library. And that's a big part of, of our life, reading and studying and, and having a lifestyle that, that invites knowledge and remain, remaining humble. And so all those achievements you read off were only because I never said no to an opportunity, even if it was two or three levels above me. Mm-hmm. So after overcoming that health piece, um, I, I, you know, 
health, health and wellness is, is a lifestyle. So I'm 60 now and I don't struggle with any of that at all. I'm not on any prescription meds. That was my life goal to not be on prescription meds. I watched my parents be on prescription meds and I just, I said, no, I don't want to live my life like that. And I think that they felt like there was no other choice that that was normal and it is not. So I, in my lifetime, I've been healthy enough to be able to accept those opportunities that have come my way. My health has not been a stall mark for me not being able to be successful. That's why I've been able to be so successful. And then the faith was was always there. Uh, and it was my, my great great grandfather started the AMU Church in Terre Haute, but he was the first black senator. He was the first black president of an HBCU, probably of all the original 43 HBCUs, Hiram Rose Ravels. So faith has always just been there. It is not, it was a lot, it's a lifestyle and, and very comfortable with it and the spiritual part component that, that develops from that by being connected. So um, that's why I've been able to be so successful. Uh, just, you know, going by faith sometimes when, you know, the fear might have been, might have taken over, but the faith, you know, rose, rose to the occasion. And I saw it in my parents, you know, they lived through a time where my dad would go to work and my mother would be so stressed. She was afraid he was going to get strung up. He's going to get lynched, which is true in the, in the middle of the day. But wow. it happens now, it's 2021. So she was always afraid of that. And I couldn't understand why she was always so afraid then. But now I understand, I see why. Because there was no boundaries with those folk who had that kind of crazy mentality. He was very well dressed, you know, was vice president, part owner of a company. She also had the opportunity to move into, she was a maid, her mother was a maid, her mother was a maid, you know, but she was able to move as the times changed. They were able to move into better opportunities and she took advantage of them. So in terms of taking advantage of opportunities, I saw them do, so I learned to do. And, and that's why I've had, you know, such a full life. But they had a very strong faith, you know, extremely strong faith. You know, they they lived through lynchings and and just all kinds of nonsense. So uh, here we are having this conversation. And, and I was saying at some point when, when we originally had a conversation, I said that it's very important that as an elder in the community, you know, we have to tell our story, especially in our African-American community. We have got to tell our story because black and white folk and European and, and, and Italian and, and Asian need to hear our stories. They need to hear the entire story because it didn't start with some of the things that news media wants to let you think happen. No, we, we love our families like we love each other. You know, we're very forgiving people and very loving people, but people don't know that because we don't show that. You know, we, we don't show that enough. We don't show enough of, I'm an educator and I'm a retired educator. We don't show enough of now at 60, I am counting the number of PhDs that my students are now earning. I now call my students doctor. When I met them, they were 15 and didn't know what direction they were gonna go in. They had great parents, but at school, they weren't being led the right way. Mm -hmm. But when they found out I was an open vessel, but, but be happy to mentor them. Now they're doctor. I mean, I've got three PhDs this year alone. Wow. Wow. So my successes aren't as important as my students and my nieces and nephews' successes. So. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get into um, education coming from failing kindergarten? <laughs> I, kindergarten to all the accolades that you have now, look at God. Right, look at God. And well, it starts with my name, Angela, Messenger from God. And I believe that, mm. you know, God sends, you know, people through two veils, uh, you know, just all the different the different names in the Bible, uh, all the different folk who travel through time and, and you know, not letting folk have children to their hundred and, you know, the five smooth stones and the little bitty David and, you know, the women of the Bible who don't 
we don't hear enough of the women of the Bible, but but they did amazing things, touching the hem of the garment and and all those things. So I would say that my great great grandfather was president of Alcorn State University. You know, eighteen what was that eighteen sixty two, eighteen somewhere around there. And wow. so that would right that would be an educator, and he created the school that was part of the church that was there in Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, my and then my grandfather. My father's father uh, continued the church and continued the school, continued, you know, the, the boarding house for the black soldiers and that educational component in the community. My father um, was vice president of what's called Eton Kobe. He was a dental technician. So he went to HBCU just like I did. I went, he went to Meharry. I went to Fisk. My sister went to Tennessee State, um, Alcorn State, my great grandfather. My niece went to Tuskegee. So I say that to say that he was a corporate executive vice president of a corporation, but he wanted to be around to see us go to ballet lessons. So, and he didn't want to travel on business trips. He didn't want to be away from my mother very long. She was a diabetic. He didn't want to be away from her. And, and very few times he was ever away from her. Uh, anyway, so he got into education so he could be available to be available for us. So at some point I did a corporate career after college. I was fortunate actually to be employed after college, given the given the economic climate in, in 1983 in the United States. I was very fortunate. And so did the corporate corporate gig. And back then it was a little bit different. You know, as my father said, I want you to go up vertically, not horizontally. And I was like, you're right, Dad. So, you know, opportunities didn't come your way if you didn't do the horizontal versus vertical story. So I said, mm, so I'll do something else. So education came along. I earned a fellowship. I started subbing and I earned a fellowship. And because of my background with science, you know, they we were highly sought after, still highly sought after. I mean, I could go back probably right now and teach. They would be happy to have me because we have such a shortage of science teachers, especially chemistry, biology, microbiology, you know, that thinking, those thinking skills. Anyway, that's how I got into education, stayed 25 years. I mean, God sent me, you know, I, I when I look at, I was at corporate America making X amount of money and then I my income goes from there to half. <laughs> you know, I had a, had a few, had a trials and tribulations, you know, I had a few folk who wanted to sue me. I said, well, get in line, got a few others who want to sue me as well, because I, I wasn't making the money. You know, I wasn't making money. And teachers don't start out at 200000 a year like I think they should yeah. and have a car and a clothing allowance like corporate executives do. Yeah. So 25 years, and um, I never said no when there were opportunities. We created a lecture series called StuartSpeakers.com. And in that, that was 1986. By 1994, Dr. Mae Jemison had already gone to space, first African-American woman. She was one of the lecturers we chose, or she said yes to us. I was assigned to her. I was a logist over the logistics committee. That means I was in charge of make sure all those wonderful, famous folk made it from the limousine to the stage and back to the limousine, whatever they wanted. They wanted lemon and water. I got lemon and water. They wanted, you know, salt, salt and not pepper, whatever. Anyway, that was my job. So I was kneeling next to her at the table, making sure they didn't run her over while they were giving autographs. And she said, so what do you do? <laughs> well, Dr. Jemison, I, I'm a teacher. She, she looked at me, you know, very tall woman. I, she said, what do you teach? I said, chemistry. She said, you want to come work for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, you want to work for me. No problem. Look, here's what I'm going to do. I didn't get a chance to breathe or get a word in. She said, here's what I'm going to do. I know you can write three essays. Oh, I'm not worried. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I get back to my office in the next two weeks, I'm going to send you an application. All you can do is write three essays, send it back. Yeah. So she did. So I did. And I've been with her, you know, off and on ever since. So I became her curriculum advisor. I moved from being the first educator, one of the first educators to work for her at Choke Rosemary, okay, in 1994. Later on that year, I went to work for her, right? 
blew me away. I've been with her ever since. And so I advised her curriculum. Um, she would send me ahead of her. So I, she would fly me from Indianapolis here to Houston and I would stay for one, two, three days, whatever, work in her office. And we decide, devise the plan of where she was going to send me. It could have been anywhere. So I had to be prepared to be away from my home three or four weeks at a time. She sends me, I go. Yeah. So when I say not saying no to opportunities that are well above me, I mean, this is a lady who's an astronaut who went through the astronaut program in seven years versus 10. She's the first African-American woman. So I got an opportunity to meet, you've seen that picture of those African-American women, astronauts, they're all together. I was at that event standing right in front of those four. And so somebody next to me took that photo. So I got to meet all of them. And saying to say, that was like, talk about opportunities and being far beyond you, that was. But I said, I'm gonna step up and go. She chose me, so, and here we are. <laughs> What a guy. There you he go. Will, what a guy. I'm telling you, he will, your gifts will make room for you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and math and science has never, and my father pushed me into it in math and science. I just want to say that he gave me a chemistry set when I was eight, build model cars. I still build them and, and all of that because he knew how it was for women. And he knew that, I remember him telling me, he said, boo, you know, your mother had to get married. In her time, that's how things were. But you, you don't want to do that, you're not required. You said, we're going to leave you this house. We're sending you to FIST to become educated, not to get an MRS. You can get your own degrees and do what you want, own your own whatever. So I took that to heart because, you know, father and daughter relationship, I think, is extremely important, especially in this time. Absolutely. And, you know, he said, I'm not always going to be around. You're going to have to take care of your mother and your sister, this home, this land. I said, OK. So I was hearing that at 13. And I don't know that many people do that with their children, sit down and have that conversation about I'm not always going to be around. But these are the assets we're leaving you. And here's how to keep them. And I think that's generational wealth. And that's something as a people we have got to do better. Mm -hmm. Much better. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's as elders. Go ahead. Absolutely. And just um, planting those seeds at an early age. So this yes. you can reap the harvest. Right, right. Yeah, don't spend everything that you make. Put some away. You don't have to have the shiny new whatever every week. You do have to eat well. So mm -hmm. make a decision about how you're going to spend your resources and who you're going to take care of along the way. If you're going for a great meal, take somebody with you. Teach them how to take care of themselves. Make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, plenty. Absolutely. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. And that's from your adopted father. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't find my biological or, or information on my biological father till I was almost 50. And my sister, same situation. We both we both agreed we would wait till our parents passed away. That's a long time wow. to wait. Yeah. But but they were such great people. We just felt like it would be so disrespectful. Uh, and, and, and they were so private about that conversation. We wanted to know, but they were private about it. So we respected their wishes. And right. So, yes, my biological parents, I saw them be better than biological parents. <laughs> they went to the ends of the earth. Whatever we needed. If we needed tutors, we got tutors. If we needed to travel, we traveled. Medical care. I mean, there was never we were treated like princesses. And we really were. So our standard of, of, of life is probably a little bit different than most folk. And, and um, but, you know, I try to pass that on to my students, my nieces, my nephews, my great nieces. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I yeah. just want people to see that it's not always, even though it was a traumatic experience, 
it could have turned out traumatic, but God worked it out for your good. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, struggled, you know, struggled all those years with my health, uh, missed, oh gosh, two and three weeks of school every year. And, and I'm sure that that caused me to be become so behind academically, but I loved learning and I loved reading. I just had a little bit of dyslexia. And so I knew I had to work hard to overcome all of that, read as many books as I could in the summertime. Instead of, obviously, I got outside and got exercise, but I also did a tremendous amount of reading, developed the verbal skills. And I learned French first before I learned English because the private school we attended, French was the main language. So French is really my first language and then English. And then from there, there was huge benefit because I was able to learn Italian and Greek and Spanish and German and all the other languages and the salutations because I had an opportunity to be an international official at the world level and at the Olympic level. And so, you know, knowing those kinds of things allowed, you know, allowed the doors to be open in other areas. Mm-hmm. And windows, graduates, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> it's so appropriate for you to be my guest now that the Olympics are going on right now. Wow. Oh my gosh. And I apologize. I don't have any athletes this year, this time in the Olympics. Um, I had an athlete for the last 12 years uh, who was a hammer thrower and she finished in her last Olympics. She retired in 2016, Amber J. Campbell. No, she's Dr. Amber J. Campbell now. Oh, wow. Yeah, doctor. Yeah, she was bestowed an honorary doctor degree in 2017 when she was asked to be their commencement speaker. But she finished her degree there at her, at her coastal Carolina. It's not like she didn't finish her degree, but she had an amazing career. She did three Olympics. I officiated at her first Olympic trials in 2004, and she was a B athlete. So if she had attained the A, there's A and B standard. If she'd attained the A standard, she would have been, that would have been her fourth Olympics. But she finished six. They did um, Olympic commercials around her in 2016 in Rio. Absolutely. When you wow. talk about a coach, yeah. And I was her high school coach directly and indirectly, but I stayed with her and her family all those years. So what type of coach are you? I am I am I am track and field, but I'm also health and wellness. But track and field is my love. So it's on tonight, last night. <laughs> so we're track and field and I'm a master's athlete. So I have I tried off the Olympic trials when I was 35 as a pole vaulter. And wow. I run the hundred to two hundred to sixty meters indoors, the four by one, the four by four, not the four by eight. <laughs> Not the mile (laughs) (laughs) to train. I've tried all 22 events, you know, because as a good coach uh, and I was a running coach, I would run with my athletes. And that's really, I think, what made the difference between creating a a number of Olympians and not. So I wanted to be like Coach Ed Temple out of Tennessee State. He had uh, 47 Olympians in 27 years of coaching. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) And they all finished their degree. Absolutely. So winding down so tell me what were those um let's talk about the triumphs i mean you you've had a lot of successes in your life like you just went over some but uh where god gets the glory out of your story and that sounds you like know, yeah, turning my health around would be the number one piece. Turning my health around, I remember my mother saying she passed away in 2006. She had diabetes. My father passed away in 2005. He had Alzheimer's for 20 years, and so did his mother, who lived with this. But turning my health around, there was no guarantee that my health was going to get turned around ever. 
And it took, it took time and it took work. I would think that would be the first one is turning my health around to making me, giving you examples. So I was always underweight. I was weighed 100, 115 at 5'7". And that's, that, that can be considered underweight and very, very weak. Um, so when I would play softball, I, I could run like the wind, but when I would hit the ball, you know, it wouldn't go very far. My arm strength wasn't very strong. So I worked on that and I obviously got strong enough by the time I'm 35 to be strong to be a vaulter. And to be a pole vaulter, you have to be able to lift your body weight three times. You have to be able to lift your body, your own body weight three times what it is upside down. What? So vaulting is, is 10 of the major events added together. So you have to be able to long jump, high jump. Uh, you know, throw throw the jab and throw the shot, all of that to be strong, to be able to be a pole vaulter, because you have to not be afraid to be upside down. So changing my health and creating that opportunity to be so massively strong. So I could, for example, I weighed uh, on competition weight, I was weighed like 132, 135, but I could bench press like 175. I could shrug, that means pull your shoulders up and pull the weight up, 350 pounds. I could squat 315 pounds. Wow. So at 35, I, I was able to get the 100 time down to like 11.8 at 35. So when I so when they talk about, you know, these masters athletes, they talk about Allison Felix being 35 and how fast she runs. Well, I just started running since so I was 29. But but perseverance and lifting and working and, and changing your diet changed that picture. Then at 41, I tried out to be a pro football player and I was able to run so fast. What yeah, I ran a four yeah, I was little, you know, the, I was a football. I was actual football, no, seriously. I was a free safety, so I got drafted in a historic draft. Pro program was football, I've been around at that time 30 years, now it's been around 40 some years. I don't mean football like, like soccer, I mean football like pads, like trash talking, like tackling, all of that. So I was a free safety. So my job was to go after the wide out or to sack the quarterback. But I ran a 4.4. Uh, 40 second, 4.4 second, 40 meters, which is a 4.05 second, 40 yards. Wow. And so I got drafted. Yeah. But I was strong too. I was massively strong for, for as little as I was. So those big women who were like 250, 300, 350 pounds, and I had to block them, you know, they're on the offense. And I'd psh, shove them out of the way. They were so mad because I'm this little bitty person shoving them out of the way. They couldn't believe it. But I made everything work. You know, I worked hard on every part, every aspect. So, yeah. 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 That's amazing. That your life is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Well, you know, I, I tell my students, I want you to grow up and be better than me. Like my father tells me, told me, I want to live to see you make more money than me. And that's why I told my students, I want you to grow up and be better than me and make more money than me. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I tell you what, you have an amazing story. And I just wanted to share that with my audience. I wanted them to get a chance to meet you, get a chance to know who you are and get a chance to experience Coach AJ. All right, all right. One of the other things too, uh, you know, tell the audience every morning I or every day I work at night at FedEx and during the day I have a company that I own called the Plant Whispers Income of Plant Arts. Anyway, one of the things I do every day is read the Bible. Go down and tell your uh, company again. Oh, I'm sorry, the Plant Whispers Inc. Incorporated. Yeah. So I'm a plant artist. So I take things and make them look amazing. So if you Google that, you'll be able to you'll be able to see it. But also to connect with me, I use something called a keyword to a short code. So if you text Coach AJ 
to 55469, you'll be in my database and you'll get a message back from me. Or if you wanted to understand about a plant artist, it would be um, AJ Go Green to 55469. But I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram. If you just Google my name, it'll show you all the platforms I'm on, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, I'm on it. <laughs> okay, so repeat that again. Uh, if they Coach, Coach AJ. Coach AJ, all one one expression to five five four six nine. Five five four six nine. Yep, then it'll send you information back how to email me. Uh, obviously, my phone number, uh, so on and so forth. And there, then there'll be a little picture that'll come up to show you what I look like. Okay. And then, and then for my plant whisper business, which is a plant artist, it is. A-J-N, go green, same short code, 55469. It'll allow you to see, it'll have a link to my Facebook page, allow you to see the kind of artistry I do with my clients. Mm -hmm. So give me that again, A-J-N. go green, A-J-N, go green, Angela Joyce Neely, A-J-N, go green, all one expression to 55469. Okay, let's see here. Yes, how's Absolutely. that? Absolutely, beautiful, wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah. want to stay in touch with our audience. Absolutely. So, um, if let me ask three questions, okay, sure. before we end the uh, the cast. Sure. What are you most grateful for? Wow, my parents that they chose me to adopt me. Okay. What is your definition of peace and how do you define peace? Uh, being able to be with the right people at the right time for the right reasons. Mm. Yeah. That's it. So the third and last question. So what are some of the things that you do to maintain your sense of peace, whether it's daily rituals, um, or what, what are some of the things that you would like to recommend or share to our audience that will help them uh, get to or get on their path of living a life of peace and letting go of the broken pieces of their past to help them move forward in their life of peace? One of the things I tell my young folks, and I, you know, when they can't solve a problem, I said, you know, I asked them, well, do you read the Bible at all, or the Torah, or the Quran, any one of those, I don't, pick one, I don't care, um, is to write down what what is that you're trying to solve, because you can't get it together, and put it on a piece of paper, and put it in that book, and just let go. Um, drinking water. You absolutely have to drink water. It keeps the mind clear. It keeps the cells full. It keeps you healthy. Uh, memory keeps your memory. Keeps you peaceful because now when you're fully hydrated, you are going to think more clearly because the brain hormones, the endorphins, the serotonins will be released, causing you to act in the manner you should versus in a in a um, contra you know a, a, a negative manner and then finally i would say a diet 
you know, eat a diet that you're not running to the fast food restaurants every day. You can't live like that. Learning how to cook, learning how to cook foods that are good for you. And if the food doesn't do well for you, if you can't sleep well after eating the food or your system doesn't function well or you, you don't feel good, you can't eat that food. And so therefore, you're not going to have peace. You're not going to have a center where spiritualness will, will connect with you. You know, you're, you're a temple and you have to honor your temple. Absolutely. All the time. Absolutely. All the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I am just so happy and so elated to have you uh, to share this time with us. And that has concluded another episode of Who Wouldn't Serve a God Like This? And I just put the wrong thing up there. So there we go. <laughs> Well, the other one was good too. I think yes. it was good as well. I mean, it was a good. It was a good commercial. Absolutely. So don't forget <laughs> to join us in the morning at six a.m. Central Standard Time, seven a.m. Eastern Standard Time, four p.m. Pacific, for where we read the whole Bible in three hundred and sixty-five days. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's another daily podcast that I do every morning. So. Make sure you share it with your friends, relatives, children, spouses, spouse, spouse. Absolutely. Well, Ms. Pamela, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for getting to know me. And, and, and uh, it's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and preparing for this and, and really love what you're doing and continue to do what you're doing. It's very important, especially in this time where we are. We need folk to, to invite the love back. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we have to, got to start building our spiritual muscles and our strength and, you know, just helping people through this hard time, even though yes. we've been through a pandemic, we've got to give people a sense of hope and a sense of peace in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's been a pleasure yeah. spending time with you. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Coming. And thank everyone for joining and, and uh, tuning in for another episode of Who Wouldn't Serve a God Like This. We look Blessings, beloved. Yes, blessings to you. We look forward to seeing you in the morning. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye. Take Bye. care. Thank you.